podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's Radio City Talk, it's the Anfield Wrap. I'm your host, John Gibbons, and I'm in for Neil Atkinson, who's dancing naked around the streets of Las Vegas. I am joined by Paul Senior, Jay McKenna, and Philippa Smallwood. This beautiful evening, it's been absolutely gorgeous day. I've been watching the cricket in the sun, and it's been great, but I've come here to uh, talk about football. And coming up in part two, we've got... Um, bit of talk from Laura Brown about the Empty Spaces Cinema, struggle with that there. Uh, Mark Sanderson coming up in part three to talk about Southampton, to give us the Southampton viewpoint, and then we'll be bringing it back to Liverpool. But before that, I've, I've called this bit Anfield, I've called this part of the show Anfield, because I want to talk about a couple of discussions around Anfield today, the first of which, well, there was a big headline, Jay, about um, developments to the Anfield Road, and then I'll see what they've actually said. Um, this is Andy Hughes, who's the club's chief operating operating officer. Does he like you? He's all right. Or? Uh, I don't think I've met Andy, <laughs> so I might be on his good list for now. <laughs> um, so we, we always said that we would complete the main stand and assess, assess its success. That's difficult for me to say before looking at any developments for Anfield Road. Anfield Road provides an opportunity to further develop our stadium in the future and the club's position is that we're always going to start exploring that viability. And then he says, basically, now is the time when they're going to start exploring it. So what I want to know is, on a scale of uh, Everton Stadium to one that actually exists, how, how, likely, <laughs> uh, how, how likely is this new, uh, new Anfield Road expansion and is it any more likely than it was yesterday before these comments? Uh, it's no more likely than it was <laughs> yesterday. I actually thought, uh, and I'm actually now doubting myself, I've watched the reaction to this on Twitter. Um, I've been like, they've said this before, haven't they? Yeah, like yeah this, it's nothing new. Ian Ayres said this in other interviews. Like, we'll he's told us it. We'll build the main stand. We'll see what happens, and then we'll like we'll look at the Anfield Road. And then they built the main stand and they opened that in the summer. And after a few months, everyone was like, "All right, you've seen what happened now. Like, can we have the Anfield Road?" And Ian Ayn then was like, oh, well, we've just got to see, and, you know, we've got planning permission still till next year. Now it turns out there's apparently planning permission till next year now, so yeah, now, they, now there's another year. They, they changed a couple of words in it or something, so you get an extension. Yeah, get they put extension. a full stop in somewhere, <laughs> and it's like, edit the document, three, three years starts now. Um, and it, 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 it does seem really peculiar that they've said this today. Um, I don't, you know... I, you know, obviously, we'd had some good news earlier in the week with the tag leash thing, so it wasn't. It doesn't strike me as just saying a good news thing. It's almost as if like someone's needed to, I don't know, they've got like a press release quote or something to send out or something because because <laughs> it doesn't tell us not. And you know, I would have hoped and expected that they'd have been looking at the feasibility for this ever since the put in outline plan of permission for it. Well, that's what confuses me, Philippa, because he, he said here, he goes on to say, Andy, who's a, who was Jay's mate, um, we will follow <laughs> the same robust process for the Anfield Road as we did for the main stand. We are commonly working on design, feasibility, cost, capacity, and economic viability options once we've completed this comprehensive process and come to the conclusion we will be, it'll be the right time to move forward with any development programme. It sounds like the miles away. It does sound like the miles away. Um I don't know if it's just one of them where they're saying, you know, we haven't forgot about it. You know, we it's still ongoing, yeah. and you know, maybe just trying to put it out there that, you know, don't get a bit stroppy about it because we know we've had this stand open since last summer, but you know, it's it's still an ongoing process. Maybe um, I also read something else, and I don't know if there's any quotes on this or not about uh, the cop. They're going to expand the cop in the corners. <laughs> 
And it's, aren't, they, aren't they putting some extra rows on the on where some, Yeah, something on, like four hundred and seventy seats. They put in the upper centenary. They put an extra <coughs> seats where the walkways are at the moment. It's because they're, they're adding it's disability, uh, disability, yeah. Yeah, yeah, disability seats. So they're putting platforms in the corners, aren't they? Which yeah. So we're going to actually lose seats. Okay. So you're losing seats, seats right to up. put their disability platforms in, and I think people like in one hundred and nine are being moved and stuff like that. And they're putting some extra seats in to make up for that because there's going to be quite a lot of people displaced. So they're filling in parts of the cop all in one go. Um, but I don't think it's like dramatically affecting the atmosphere. I don't think like if I was number one to five hundred on the season second waiting list, I wouldn't like be getting my hopes up. Thinking <laughs> no, I'm no, in no. here. Yeah, well, you know, don't think, don't think there's going to be a significant change for them. Yeah, I mean, it, it always needs bringing back to Paul, which is that when they bought the club, one of the the basic re- requirements and one of basic stipulations and and something that Martin Broughton said and repeated in his his recent his recent interview with the with the Echo with Anfield Extra that one of the things was that they had to commit to a 60,000-seater stadium. So bearing that in mind, A, we shouldn't be getting all excited about the fact that they're, they're part of the way doing it. And B, you sort of feel they should be a little further down the line now to that basic agreement from the very first time they bought the club. Um, yeah, I, I mean, how can I put it? With, with FSG, they sort of... Because they're not like the, the previous um, inco- what's the word, James? Incumbents. Uh, incumbents. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's, of the, that. that's the half six word. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, because not like them, they, um, they they sort of get get off a little bit. I, I'm I'm not a uh, how can I put it? I don't dislike them, and you know I could easily be convinced in in replacing them. I think one thing they have done is they actually have built a stand. You know yeah. where there's been so much so much talk all my match going life about Liverpool ex- expanding this ground. They have actually done it. It's a, a brilliant facility. Um, and you're really a point where you're saying about um, you, the planning process and work, what they're doing. And I think that's just a natural thing. I think I think they had to see the, the return of the um, of the main stand and see what, what that sort of brings in and let that run for a full season, whether the commercial facilities it's got, you know, whether they can put a bath thing on or a function thing on on a Friday night, and yeah. that, that actually gets uptake. So whether this stands in the Anfield Road is just a purely, um, you know, a, a general entry fan stand, or whether they actually put some um, commercial into it, I think that's probably what they've been waiting to see. Well, this is, you know, this this, this provoked discussion today I was saying on, on the internet and on the, the Anfield app subscribe, subscribers group people were talking about this and some people, uh, you know, and I get I get this level that me it's like, well, why are you so cynical? And it's like, well, because you never, there's two reasons for that. One, you never really hear much from the club unless there's something they want to say. Not at a time, you know, fans could be asking questions, you know, phone-ins, podcasts, loads of people concerned about stuff and then the club won't say nothing. And then when they want to say something, they will. And then it doesn't really tell you much. The second bit of it, though, is that you know, we sat in... You know, go back to the ticket discussions. We sat in rooms with them where they were trying to justify the original prices they wanted to charge in the main stand. And their offer to us was, but when we build the Anfield Road, there'll be an opportunity. And everyone was like, well, no. that that you don't, yeah. you don't We're not going to pass this down the line in the hope that we might get nice tickets then. It, it was never a case of them saying to us, well, it might not happen because ticket, you know we need to charge this much to allow us to build it as John Henry then sort of came out and hinted at and suggested. Ian A then came out earlier and said, you know, obviously it needs to stack up financially and we get that. But they were always saying to us throughout that it was never going to be a case of hospitality in that stand because it just wouldn't work mm. because they didn't think they'd have the uptake. They didn't think it's the kind of, you know, the size which you could build it. You'd be able to get something in there for it. So 
it seems to me, and I'm wondering now, just based on that quote you said about you know the feasibility and the yeah. design, whether they've actually thought we do need to redesign this, um, we we do need to put corporate hospitality in in some way or something, or maybe they're thinking they need to put even more general admission seats in. You know, we always expected the the capacity to go up to you know sixty thousand. We expected that this would move us from the fifty four we are now. The Anfield Road, they've had some extra seats. You know, redo it and it'd be 60,000, whether they're thinking more now, I, I don't know, but that's where the cynicism comes from, people are just wondering, saying, well, this doesn't really tell us much more else, you've al- almost just reiterated what you've previously said, just in new words, and, you know, I think what people are going to ask themselves, and, you know, and, I, and I think it's reasonable, as fans, you know, people listening to this tonight, people listening to this on the podcast, will might think to themselves, well, I'm waiting to buy a ticket, yeah. Yeah. there's thousands of us waiting to buy a ticket, Build it bigger and we'll buy a ticket and that'll pay for it. And people will just begin to question, well, what needs to stack up? The, you know, the main stand's going to be paid for in five to six years. Yeah. You know, what what needs to stack up if if this loan takes a bit longer to pay off and we just pay it off through the season? So I could say, well, fine, because in five, six years, you're going to have to £20 million from the new stand. So I think that I think that's where it comes from. And anyone listening to it, I think it's just a, you know, I'd, I'd be curious to know what you think on it, but it, it just... It doesn't really answer anything. This does it. it doesn't make yeah. us think. Oh, now they are thinking of it because they've already said this. So yeah. it just leaves you wondering again. Yeah, what is the point? So they definitely are doing this. Summer Philippa is we're getting a completely new pitch. Yeah. So that's quite exciting. Coupled, I'm reading. I'm reading here from Christine Walsh's article in the Echo. Coupled with the state-of-the-art drainage and irrigation system, it will be the most advanced Deso Grassmaster service. That sounds like sounds like some graffiti and bootle that. <laughs> de- 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 <laughs> Deso the Grassmaster. <laughs> it would be the most advanced Deso Grassmaster service, a combination of natural grass and artificial fibres. I mean, I mean, it sounds quite good. Philippa. Yeah, I mean, they, they did say that they wanted to do it last year but they couldn't because of the building yeah. the new stand yeah. um, and it is something that has kind of grated on me for the past three or four seasons now because I do think that, that the actual playing surface isn't I think this season's standard. been a lot better than the, the it has no, actually yeah. it was noticeable the first yeah. the first couple of seasons I think they've done like a, a halfway house for this yeah, season yeah I think they must they, have yeah. done yeah because it has been a lot better especially like since you know, it's got a bit sunnier in the last few weeks. I think it's I think it's looked yeah. even better again. So um something did need to happen there and you know it's obviously gonna hopefully help with the style of football as well. You know, it's gonna suit us hopefully better than, than what it does at the moment. One game in Anfield before then, Paul Senior, uh, this Sunday. It's a big one before we get into the what we'd like to do with the team and what we'd like to see, which will be coming up in part four. For now, just talk about the crowd and the Anfield crowd themselves. He's he's talked about them in the press conference today. He's talked about nerve. He said, uh, the plan is for Sunday that we can use Anfield. I know how it is. For some people, it's maybe a nervy situation, biting their teeth and thinking, hopefully, hopefully it can happen. But we need to be brave. We need to enjoy the game. We need to play football. We need to defend very serious. And if possible, we need to use the crowd, creating a special atmosphere. I mean, I don't think it's going to be a special atmosphere no. on Sunday, but but it's interesting when he talks about nerves there and about trying to trying to use the positivity of the crowd rather than feeding on the negativity. And he's sort of, I think, what he, he he's trying to sort of cajole the crowd without doing it because sometimes he's a bit criticised and people say you know you, you worry about the players kind yeah. of thing. But he, I think he's trying to make another little point there that they feed off your energy, and if it's negative energy, then they can feed off that too. Yeah, and I think the the timing of the game. Sunday early kickoff are are the worst Anfield atmospheres. I mean, um, so he may have, he may have a point. That being said, go go and score two early goals, and I don't think there'll be any any nerves in the ground. I just 
I feel he touches on it a little bit too much, and I I'm, I understand the part of the thing with Jurgen Klopp and part of the thing I wanted when we sat in the studio two and a bit years ago or whatever it was. Um, you know when he was being announced as as Liverpool manager, was we we all spoke about his interaction with the crowd and stuff yeah. like that. There's there's only for for my mind there's only so much, and and I'm I'm sure he's trying to cheat a little bit. Um, by trying to get every form of competitive advantage he possibly can, whether that's a scary stadium the way you know Stoke used to be and Palace under Pulis and that sort of thing, where you used to feel intimidated by going to a ground. I, I understand he gets that, but uh, for me, I think it's just becoming a it's starting to grind on me a little bit, and there's absolutely no no reason for it to grind on me. But I just don't think it needs mentioning that quite as much. I mean, for me, it's a negative. He's basically highlighting something that potentially goes wrong with the club and this is for me I'm proud of some of the Anfield nights I've been at and I yeah. understand what I, I contradicted myself a, a couple of moments ago by going you know Sunday afternoons are a bit grim <laughs> <laughs> but you know let, let, give how can I put it I think the Anfield's atmosphere especially this season has been a lot better so I don't I don't really think it needs bringing up every press conference he gets asked about it doesn't it Jay and if he gets asked about something he's going to talk about it I think I, I agree with Paul because sometimes a little bit because sometimes I'm like oh I did it a bit Jürgen but then also if he keeps getting asked about it he's going to talk about it and if he can maybe change a few minds and I think that's what he's done since he started just trying to change mindsets a little bit at a time and I think it's I think people maybe sometimes need to be reminded, myself included, that if you're if you're going, oh, if you're groaning and stuff, it, it does kind of get through. Yeah, I, I agree with him on this one. I've had this when it when I often when you see him turning around trying to cheer the crowd up, I'm like. Mate, they've paid £45 to watch that and they're loving it. It's just like tried to edit about three feet off the floor. <laughs> you know, I'd be fuming at that, mate. Um, and, and I think he gets it wrong there. But on this one, I think he is right in. It's the nervousness from the crowd at times. Shouting at them to do things that you're like, mate, I've seen you play fuzzy. You can't even do that. You can't even do like you you can't even pass the ball. And you're screaming at him to like, because he hasn't just played a 70 yard pass to someone that. Our crowd almost gets too anxious too quickly now, and I think it's because we've seen how we can play. Because you don't know what Liverpool's going to turn up, and Southampton's one of them games. You don't know what Liverpool's going to turn up. If we were playing Man United on Sunday, he wouldn't need to say this because the fans are turning up, thinking right, I've got to do X, Y, Z. But we play Southampton, and you'd be like, I don't know if these are going to turn up and just like think it's going to be nice and easy, or they're going to turn up, you know, full of confidence and and be terrible. Everyone's wondering it, but our crowd do do it. You know, Mignolet gets, oh, you know, he comes for the cross, oh. It's like, mate, that's what he's paid to do, you know. He's done this a fair bit, and I know we like he might be a bit dodgy at times, but give him a chance. So it's, I, I think he's right on this occasion. I just think, I, I think like Paul says, though, he's got to set a fine line to not just keep mentioning it because otherwise, I think people will just get tired of it. Yeah, fine line indeed. But at the moment, obviously, he's got all all our support. Uh, we're going to take a quick break now, but coming back after this is Lord of Brown on the Empty Spaces Cinema. You didn't see that coming, did you? Oh, hello there. This is an awkward situation, isn't it? Really, this is this is Neil. Uh, who's currently away and John you are presenting this show oh, I'm doing a great job even if I do say so myself you've been fantastic from start oh, to finish I'll tell you what you've got nothing wrong the, so far you won't have your back uh, honestly you can't argue with the facts as I always <laughs> say uh, and we're talking to Laura Brown uh, about the Empty Spaces project that she's working on John and it's well we'll let Laura uh, give us a pressy uh, for the listeners Ian Salmon's in as well how's Future Ian you alright? Future Ian's great I, I, I'm kind of slightly phased by the whole I don't know which which timeline we're we're talking to each other from it. Ian, Ian, never write an online play, mate. You'll have no chance. <laughs> no. Laura, <laughs> the Empty Spaces Project. Yes. Tell us about it then. 
Okay, so empty spaces um, started as a <laughs> drunken conversation between me and my husband. Sounds like young people. The best conversation, the best ideas always start over a bottle of wine. Um, and we had been involved with Liverpool Small Cinema, which is yeah. obviously now past tense, as was Liverpool Small Cinema, and um, that was the you know the cinema that Love built, and it was a redoc project, and you know the rake was built and everything was put together. And my other half, Chris Brown, had done um, the Cheap Thrills night. And one of the things that we were really interested about is how you can use empty spaces across the city, wherever you kind of like, and turn them into a cinema. And all you need is a screen, a projector, a desire to do random things and have no sleep and have no free time, and just build cinema spaces. And that's sort of where it came from. Where, where it came from and also what you've done, um, <laughs> which is, yes. you know, it's worth pointing out this is uh, the... the it's something which has now become a program of events. You actually have something that's beginning to look like a little bit of a program of screenings. Yeah. So it what happened was the guys from Architectural Emporium who um, have done some work in Anfield. They've like been part of Home Baked and all that kind of thing. They um, got hold of the Handyman Supermarket on Smithdown Road and got in touch with Redoc, who'd been behind the small cinema, and went. Hmm, do you want to come and do a cinema at this like rather weird space? And we said, uh, Redox said, well, we can't do it, but I know a guy who can. And we were just sort of in that sort of fledgling bit with empty spaces where we just sort of registered a website and thought this will be a good idea to have at some point in the future. And then um, kind of said, yeah, all right, we'll uh, we'll start programming some films. So got into the supermarket, which used to be a DIY shop, and thought we can do something a bit strange something a bit horror based it's 30 years since with nail and i so we thought we'll put with nail and i on for the saturday night which sold out almost straight away um put something for the kids on the sunday afternoon so we're putting wreck it ralph on and then the sunday night is hound the baskervilles so it's the hammer and nail film festival because as everyone good. knows it used to be a di- it used to be a diy shop very good indeed uh, I, I, I like the I like the cheapness of the pun. <laughs> I think that, that that gives us that gives us something to work with most definitely. So that's what's coming up this weekend. You've got with an ale and I, which has sold out. So we shouldn't even bother talking about it really. But you know, people it shows that people it shows that people want this sort of thing quite close to them. I think it's quite an interesting, in general, sort of conversation around where we where we place our culture in the city. Is that you know so so we are very city centre orientated. And that's great for me. I live in the city centre, but lots and lots and lots. In fact, not most of the people in fact don't. And at times, you know, I think that inside. The the, the, the city's inner walls almost Laura struggles to get outside the city and get and go to the people it expects everyone to constantly come to them I think that's really true and obviously the handyman supermarket used to be a cinema it opened in about 1911 and it was the Sefton Park Picture Dome and it was a sort of when three- there was a cinema <laughs> on every corner exactly <laughs> honestly and you know well Terence Davis always says you could never walk a mile in Liverpool without falling over a cinema yeah, yeah. and I think that sense of culture of having you know film everywhere you go like a pub makes it really different and it's it's you experience it in a really different way and you can do different things i think you know there's a generation of people that think all cinema is is a ticket that's 15 quid and you watch it with 400 people and everyone's throwing blue juice around the room and jacked up on sugar do you know what i mean and it's this blue cinema. juice sounds great <laughs> have you ever seen this it's amazing it's like yards yeah. and the same sort of shape as a bottle of yards but it's just sugar Wow. It's a slightly frozen sugar. <laughs> I think possibly it is. I've never tried it myself. I've just seen the impact. We of shouldn't it. be talking it down <laughs> no, at this stage. No. It's funny when you go to Walton Cinema though, and at the start they show all the cinemas that have closed, and it's meant to be sad that it is, but you do think, yeah, that was too many. 
<laughs> absolutely tons that, that was never sustainable but, <laughs> but it is good to do this stuff's going on there again now and I think in terms of not just not just outside the city I know, I know the point you're trying to make deal but in terms of I think generally if, if someone's in an unusual space I think people are more likely to go because they just want a bit of a nosy around it I think it's it could be become more part of or be becoming more civic and then going do you know what it's, it's really nice in here I wouldn't have expected and I think everyone thinks everything that's closed is, is a ruin yeah. and actually with a bit of kind of TLC something can, can kind of be quite nice again I think so and I think it's the sense as well of you know developers often struggle with what they're going to put on the ground floor of spaces and I think if you say to someone well, do something pop up do something a bit different it's what that thing a lot of the time people compare you know cities outside of London in the UK and they kind of say, you know, the difference that London has is that stuff happens all over the city and it's a massive place. Mm. But in Liverpool and in Leeds and in Manchester, you have to, the easiest place to get to in all of those cities is the centre of the city. And actually, I would much prefer it if it was easier for me to get from, you know, Wavertree to West Derby rather than having to go into town and then back out again. Yeah. And I think it just, people like stuff on their doorstep because it's more fun and it means you can have a couple of drinks and walk home. Or not have to get a taxi? That's, that's talking my language. Um, <laughs> but, that, but again, I'm lucky enough that that's almost everywhere for me. Um, it is in the it's four six one Smith Down Road. So this I presume you've sold you've sold the, the with nail and I one out. Mm-hmm. I presume this isn't this is not the end of this. This feels as though you're talking there about talking to developers that you're you're thinking more and more about the use of space within a city, which is in and of itself a, an interesting thing. Yeah, it's one of the things I'm really interested in about is how we have a sense of ownership of our cities and how we have a sense of ownership of different places and cities. And being a woman in a city is a very different experience from being a man in a city. Uh, My office is in Baltic. And I think one of the things that people always forget about Baltic is that actually when it's dark in the winter and you're a woman on your own, it's really frightening because there isn't that much stuff on ground floor that's open after like six o'clock. And it's quite intimidating. And I think if you've got something where people can spill out onto the street and you know, there's more of a sense of footfall and, you know, what Jane Jacobs used to call, you know, the, pe- the pavement ballet and that kind of stuff, that you have movement and action and life happening on the streets. It just makes it a bit more colourful. And it's very um, egalitarian in that it it makes people feel that every space is for everyone. And cinemas are a really great way of doing that because people have that natural assumption that when you walk into a cinema, you're guard is very much down you're very open to have new ideas and things thrown at you i think there's also you've got a massive opportunity there the fact that cinema as a communal experience is something that you only ever experience when a film is new now so for me i'm probably the only person in this room who has ever seen with and i at the cinema because i'm the oldest person in the room by quite some distance oh i don't know about that but (laughs) so i I saw it we could release and there weren't very many people who were, so it's been a DVD film, it's been a VHS film, but if you can take films that haven't had that lifestyle, so obviously the recent passing of Jonathan Demme, you could show something wild, people haven't seen something wild, you can show Stop Making Sense, and give people that communal experience that you don't generally get with a DVD or a Netflix generation. I, yeah. I, I agree with Ian's general point. I do feel a bit like he's just told me he saw the Sex Pistols in the Free Trade Hall. Um, <laughs> I didn't. Um, I, I saw Gutman claim they had, but that, that was a lie as well. Uh, on the other hand, um, all right, there is, therefore, this stuff is going to be ongoing. I think you can keep it out. It's empty cinema, emptyspacescinema.com uh, is the website. And this weekend uh, at the time at which you're listening to this, there is the With Nail and I uh, screening tonight, uh, which is, is it tonight? I don't know. I'm got, no, that's the fifth, uh, which is Saturday 
Saturday night, but it's sold out. Uh, and then there's the seventh on the seventh. There are two screenings. There's the Wreck It Ralph Kids Club uh, thing that's happening. Uh, I like Wreck It Ralph very, very good indeed. And then the excellent hand of the Baskervilles, uh, starring Peter Cushing as Sherlock Holmes. A lot of hammer horror there. Uh, so you can get yourself down to both of them. It's four six one Smith Download, and uh, there is definitely going to be more of this. Yes, there's definitely going to be more, and it's um, you know people can make suggestions as well if people have ideas to get in touch. Liverpool is not a city that's backwards and coming forwards. The minute you say you're doing something and somebody always gets in touch and goes, I've always wanted to see this well, film. Ian just books just stop making sense. And you know what? If you can get your hands on a copy of Violent Playground... You do know who my husband is, don't you? He, my husband literally wrote the book on the video nasties. So if there's a man who might be able to find you that... Well, Violent Playground isn't a video nasty. It's it's a Liverpool classic from the 50s. Oh, well, maybe. But if you can get that because it was filmed here, you will absolutely... You'll fill the old BHS with people who want to watch that. BHS. Okay. <laughs> the old BHS. Oh, this is nostalgic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey. It's the old BHS. Yeah, yeah. It's one for the teenagers. This is the Anfield wrap. Uh, there's a contact us thing on, on emptyspacecinema.com. Wreck Laura's head. Click contact us and absolutely bombard her with things like Ian's just done there. Emptyspacecinema.com. Listen, after seven o'clock, John Cabins will be back doing all this sort of stuff. He'll be cutting loose and having fantastic fun and games, talking about all the football. This will be the best radio show you'll have heard all year. See you in a minute. Back with the Anfield Wrap on Radio City Talk, it's John Gibbons in for Neil Atkinson. And now I'm delighted to be joined on the phone by Mark Sanderson. He's a Southampton fan and author of the, st- the, st- the story and the book, Bobby Stokes, the man from Portsmouth who scored Southampton's most famous goal. So, first of all, Mark, thanks for joining us tonight. Pleasure, thank you. Um, funny season for Southampton, really. Um the, the cup run was obviously a lot of fun. They played so well in the final and then were disappointed. But the, the league campaign's been very stop-start. And I was a little bit surprised to, to kind of see you in ninth because you're used to Southampton being a little bit higher than that. Yeah, well, I think the game weekend against Hull was, was an example of really how long the season can be. And yeah. how large chunks of it are ultimately quite pointless, unfortunately. <laughs> I mean, we... Um, We've only scored 17 goals at home this season, which is pretty... Yeah, it's not pretty, great uh, Not great if you've got a season to go. No, it's not. And you know, Thanks traditionally, going back, when we first ever got to the first division back in, the, I think, 66. Now, perhaps one of our most famous players, Terry Payne, who was part of the World Cup winning squad for England, he always said what it was about being a Saints player. It wasn't about necessarily having having to win or being having the fear of losing but the fans always wanted the players to have a go really have a go and yeah. try and get behind your position and that really carried on in the 70s and the 80s when we got to the 90s maybe not as much but we were lucky lucky enough to have Matt Letizier but really you wonder you wonder about the mindset of players these days because Saints are safe not going to get relegated great so there's no pressure so you wonder how they approach games like Hull where if there's no pressure, nothing to worry about, why not just go out and enjoy your football? That never seems to happen in these sort of uh, games that have anything riding on it. Hull did have something riding on it. They've got, you know, they're trying to stay in the Premier League. I mean, I think the penalty we missed in injury time was actually, I think that was actually our first shot on target. So you can imagine what sort of a terrible game it was. Yeah. Yeah, it's a funny, it's a funny situation that because uh, we we speak to obviously fans all over the country, and there's been similar complaints from fans of of, of West Brom and Stoke to say, well, you know, we 
we've been safe for a long time now and you're expecting something like a little bit different, something a bit exciting. And I wonder how much of it comes from the managers who are so concerned about, about losing games and so concerned about the negativity around that. The, it, it, the whole kind of place becomes a bit stifled with fear of, of what bad might happen rather than, well, what could we try and do here in terms of throwing a young player or try a different formation just to see if, if something works. And then who knows about taking that into next year as well. There must be something in that. There must be something in that because it's, it's difficult to know what goes on, what goes on behind the scenes. But I think uh, I think that could be that could be really what makes or breaks Claude Bell really because right. they're not going to get relegated, of course. But you, you wonder what will happen long term. I think the fact that it's been such high risk football, so few goals. That might that might that might one day count against it. I mean, if you said at the beginning of the season, okay, mid table and a cup, well, oh, that's okay, that's okay. But that's, that alone doesn't really give enough detail. You think, well, if there were say say you've, you've drawn ten home games, now it depends your enjoyment and frustration depends if they're nil nils or, or three alls. There's a different context there. So you know, I think there are there are a number of fans who who have never really been convinced by him, irrespective of the cup final. Yeah. Maybe if he won that cup final, different story. But you know, I think I think looking at the stats this morning, he scored, scored 17 at home, conceded 18. So that almost, you could just have that stat alone. And it tells the story of the season, a bit of a depressing one. Yeah, do, do, do you think that, I mean, it, it looked on paper like a pretty strong attacking squad at the start of the season, when in terms of who had you, Charlie Austin's obviously, Proven goal scorer recently, Shane Long, who's been, who's been linked around as well, and it did, you know, and and the, and the wide players of the talents of Redmond and things like that. It, it looked like a, a fairly balanced attacking squad. So, is it have they, have they struggled to create chances, or, or have they been missing them, or has it just been a case of, of how the team's set up? I think it's a bit of a combination of all those things, really. Um, you're right. On the face of it, you've got you've got attacking players. Uh, I mean, you take someone like take someone like Shane Long. You compare him to to you know Gabby Dini, who's no coincidence since he's been injured. We've struggled to to score. Yeah. I, I think he's a player. He's a very good player. Superb work rate, great attitude. He's he's not really a prolific goal scorer. You know, he's someone who sometimes you almost feel that lack of goals really hangs heavy on him a bit. But something like. Like Gabbiadini, just that little bit of a higher level where he's just an absolute predator when it comes to yeah. anticipating situation, anticipating space, and just really scoring goals. It's that difference between yeah, good players and very good players. On to the game on Sunday. Then um, it's a trip to, trip to Anfield and a place where I guess I mean it feels to me anyway like Southampton have got a pretty good record recently there was the there was the League Cup semi-final and the win the Shane Long scored the goal and then generally over the last few years I don't remember many victories for Liverpool at all so that must it must fill you in a little bit of confidence yeah sure I mean over the years you know going back as a kid sort of 80s Anfield was sort of some ways you sort of dread going you know, but um, I remember a, a few wins. Sort of, I remember getting absolutely thrashed by, but I think about seven one year as well. And, but yeah, I don't. I think. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think. I don't think under Jurgen Klopp, you've. 
No, we haven't managed you know, this season. Yeah, no. Right. And last season, last season was one all, and if it, uh, Manny scored, obviously, then it, it feels like there's a few down. There's a, there's a the yeah. one this Southampton one. Yeah, they're meaningless stats, really, because the, the, the semi-final winner Anfield just seems like such a long time ago. <laughs> I mean, it's very exciting. Um, but it seems like such a long time ago. So, hopefully, yeah, I mean. Even from a really cynical point of view, the way we've done business over the recent years, if you're a Saints player, thinking, right, going around field, going to go and enjoy my stuff, put my stuff in the shop window, whatever. There was, you know, the tabloids talking about, you know, Bertrand being of interest to several clubs, including Liverpool. So why yeah. wouldn't you want to go there and, and put in a good performance? And Van Dyke's another one who's been linked away as as well. Is it? I mean, it must be frustrating, first of all, from a Southampton fan point of view, that it comes to you know every May and and, and your best players are getting linked 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 away. I mean, it must feel like a kind of yeah groundhog day, really. It does. Um, I suppose it's the same for Liverpool, though. I mean, you know, it was unfortunately not unfortunately the 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 difference is your players are going to this, you know Bas people like Suarez who's yeah. the difference between maybe winning the title or not again people like Barcelona where mm. our guys are going to it is it's frustrating I suppose it depends you have to go back to you know, why do you support your your club I mean it was a bit disappointing I wasn't at the whole game but uh, it, talking to friends and into the radio the atmosphere was pretty was pretty missing and there was a lot of booze at the end I just think. Come on, you know what? Wasn't that that long ago? We were 2009. We were nearly, you know, being liquidated. Now, of course, a lot of my fellow fans will say, probably call me in a, a bed better. Come on, we're in the Premier League now. It's sweet if we kept all our players, we could, we could challenge for the Premier League. But of course, we're, we're working to a certain financial model, and we are pretty good at bringing you know young players in, despite what Ronald Koeman said a few years ago. A uh, little dig there, at Everton. Um, <laughs> And uh, so it just sometimes it sometimes feels in the in the Premier League the way it's sort of set up and and and, and the way it's marketed so well, our best league in the world. Then you watch a game like Saints Nil Hull Nil, and you, you sort of start scratching your head. Um, you have to just remember, you know, what what it is you're supporting your your team, your club, and Saints. It, it does feel good that we bring a lot of young players through. And yeah, we lose players, but. We somehow managed to replace them. I mean, Van Dyke, for example. I mean, not as if he was playing, you know, in Azerbaijan or something. He was playing for Celtic. Yeah. And and surely other people looked at him. I'm sure um, they did. He's yeah. playing for his country, and and for whatever reason, no one decides to take him. But but when you look at him play, he's, he seems to have it all. Really, he's, he can deal with it. Yeah, he's strong. But he's a good footballer. You, you think, well, frankly, he could. He could play for anyone, really. And good luck to him if he wanted to go. He'd probably get good money for him and get a adequately replace him as well. Yeah, I mean the money that's talked for Van Dijk is is upwards of fifty million pounds, which just seems like such a huge amount of money. But then the money's there in the game at the moment, isn't it? Do you think he'd, he'd be worth what whatever anyone was to pay for him? I'm not. It, it doesn't feel like the money means anything anymore. Yeah, I don't know how how old you are. But I mean, I, I remember watching Saints and Greavesy when uh, Jimmy Greaves couldn't believe that Man United had paid two point three million for Gary Pallister because he was just a centre back. <laughs> but now, Manny, it just seems like well, fifty million, hundred million, two hundred billion million. It's, it's if if one of the big clubs wants a centre back, he'll be in the fray, and 
I, I'm not even sure if people can remember the, the sort of the transfer. It used to be a big deal at like the transfer record, but now it just seems to just go yeah. so far out of control. Yeah, he'll if if the money's big, <laughs> I don't think it'll make any difference if people want to buy him and and they can reach some sort of agreement over his wages. No doubt he'll go. Okay, huge thanks to Mark Sanderson there for joining us. As always, do check out his book on Bobby Stokes. It's a fantastic read and great reviews for it as well. Um, we'll be back in the studio with uh, what the boys think of the upcoming game. Back in the room with the guys, Philippa Smallwood, Jay McKenna and Paul Senior. I'm John Gibbons, your host of the Anfield Wrap here on Radio City Talk. And looking ahead purely now to Sunday's game and what we want to see Liverpool doing, Philippa. And just on the injuries, first of all, doesn't seem to be anything new, which is good. He said uh, Phil Coutinho is walking like John Achterberg, which I thought was quite a good line, but looking to be out. He says he's spoken to Sturridge and they're going to try their best. And it seems to be a real togetherness in the squad now and that they realise that, you know, we're, we're three games to go and you've just got to get your body out there. And I, I like that. I like that desire that they're collectively showing. You know, people might have niggles. They might not be 100%, but they realise there's only so many guys who, are, who can do it for Liverpool. So we need to rely on each other. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think when when we played the other week and Matip and Lucas hadn't trained all week, I don't yeah. think, and they stepped up to the plate. And, you know, I, th- I think I read something as well that Sturridge, you know, he's not in full training at the moment, but he's no. willing to put himself that, you know, out there and, and try and help us over the line, I suppose, to get into the top four. And, you know, it's what you want to see from your players. You want them to, to go that extra mile. And, you know, maybe earlier on in the season... Um, they might not necessarily do that because it might put them out for games later down the line. But when you've only got three left, you might as well take a risk for me with your body and, you know, put yourself out there and just see what happens. And, you know, it's just good to see that, that all the players seem to be singing from the same hymn sheet. Yeah, we do, we've talked about injuries all season, Paul, and it's, you know, it's I don't know whether it's a bit overplayed or not, but it's certainly been there. It's noticeable at the moment that a lot of other, other teams are struggling and mm. dropping like fries. You look at United, you know, with all their games. I've noticed City now talking about Aguero and Stones being out, Silver being a doubt, Bravo is out for the season. And it just seems our lads have decided to look with a small group, but we're going to get out there the best we can. And that's, that's where Klopp's man management really comes into it, isn't it? Especially with someone like Sturridge, he must be unsure of his future, but it looks like Sturridge wants to do everything he can to at least you know finish the season strongly. Yeah, that's a nice way of looking at it. Actually, after you know, when you mention injuries, you only sort of think the negative side yeah, of it. Yeah. But yeah, that that's a, that's a nice way of looking at it. I think for for me, there's there's a wider issue around this as well, and it's one that you've got to consider with the recruitment for the summer, where you think, okay, well we've had a, what what is a relatively small season, only in the only a domestic season this season. If you were going to add another, well, I think what have United played about twenty twenty five games more us this year, which is which is the ambition, you know, because they're literally yeah, competing yeah. on every front, and that's how. I mean, last season Liverpool did it to an extent. So it's yeah. a similar sort of season, is it? You know, League Cup final, Europa League final. So um, yeah, I think that's got to be a consideration. But as you said, this this season, you know, you are you've got to deal with the sort of the hand you dealt. We've been quite unfortunate, especially at the times of the injuries we've had. Yeah. But we seem to be just getting a, a little. How can I put it? It's like a, a dribble of uh, of of fresh legs coming back yeah. with Lalana just dropping in and Sturridge maybe an option off the bench. It's it's helping even if you just can give Sturridge twenty and keep Origi fresh off Firmino mean, yeah. fresh or something if the game's done. That that's all going to help in these next couple of games. We got a good seventy out of Lalana, didn't we on Monday night? Jay, I was. Obviously, they didn't want to use him that much, but I was surprised how sharp he looked in terms of knitting the play, his use of the ball. He's going to be a real asset in this last three games. He will, and it's, it, you know, it, 
as much as he's been injured, and you know, you're concerned about whether they will do themselves an injury, he's got fresh legs then. He's got fresh legs yeah. for the next yeah. few games, and that gives you an opportunity, you know, that you can make, you know, significant changes to your starting eleven. You know, you can push him if he if he start. You can drop back into midfield if we felt we need to take someone off for a rest, or someone got injured or got a knock. You can play up top. You know, it, it gives us options there, and it's really good because you know, Coutinho's got a dead leg. You know, Coutinho thinks to himself halfway through the game on, you know, Sunday missing the dead legs, come back a bit here, or he gets another knock. You don't want to risk him. Yeah. You can put him on the line, but you might say to him, "All right, we'll take you off now." And we've still got Lallana. You're not thinking to yourself, right? Who's who's the creative option? Who's going to make something happen for us here? You know, and Lallana gives you a lot of energy as well. Mm. You know, we've lost some of that without Mane, but Lallana comes back in there. He doesn't stop running. That changes the dynamics of the team for me, and and it, and it lets other players maybe you know just try and do something nice. They're not having to think of working hard to get the ball back or chasing back into midfield. He, they can go and try and do something nice, you know. It frees up, you know. Maybe an MHN, maybe maybe the reason Chan's so far forward for the Watford goal is because you know he's got other players working hard alongside him, you know, who are chasing mm-hmm. balls down, who are getting back. You know, he's confident someone else can get back for me here as well if I am caught out of position. So, you know, I think I think it's a good thing for us. The only thing we've got to think of though is, you know, and I, I, get, I get the point about not risking players. Is if it wasn't to happen, if we win on Sunday. And you know, players did get a knock or something, or the you know, they injured themselves. That wouldn't be so bad because I think we dent other people's confidence. It's if we don't turn up yeah. in Southampton and a couple of players get injured, everyone, you know, said about Klopp thinking people are nervous there. Everyone will be nervous for the last two thinking to themselves, right, where are we gonna get a goal from? Who's gonna do you know, X or Y or Z if Casino got another knock if Lalana pulled up injured, people would be concerned and we just put a load of pressure on ourselves. That probably doesn't need to be there. What we'd do is, I don't think anyone else would beat us to it, we'd lose it ourselves through you know, pressure and nervousness, really. I'm going to be more positive than Jay was there, Philip, but he really started positive, and then went, went, went into that was, that was battle. <laughs> but <I> nervous! Like, <laughs> <laughs> these nerves, yeah. But I liked what he said about Lallana's energy and what that could bring to a team, because I think we'd all like to see that Liverpool start brightly on Sunday, and Liverpool to start with the tempo, and Liverpool to, to look like, oh, they're at it today. And I think Lallana could bring you that. He can lead by example in terms of his pressing. He can also dictate the tempo with his play. He, if he plays in midfield, he's automatically looking to get forward and an extra man in the box and so he can be that impetus can't it that what we've been you know maybe lacking a bit over the last few weeks yeah I think it was noticeable when he came on just his quick feet um you know he can really quickly just move the ball and take it away from from somebody and you know it, I just think it really helps and um storage as well when he came on he looked really bright and you know if you've got players who've got that much quality you can bring into the side it's all only going to help and I really want them to start fast on Sunday I'd like us to get ahead and hopefully two goals ahead because I think that's where we've kind of let ourselves down against Crystal Palace we only got that one goal and then we're kind of putting ourselves under pressure then when they have a, a good spell and you know if we can get two goals ahead against uh, Southampton uh, I can't see how they're going to be up for trying to come back in that game. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point, isn't it, Paul? Because we talk about teams who've got nothing to play for. Well, a team like Southampton have always got something to play for against Liverpool. Mark Sanderson joked when we talked to him earlier in the show, saying, oh, they play well because they all think they're in the shop window. They want, mm. they want you to buy them. And it was a, it was a bit of a tongue-in-cheek joke, but there's, there's an element of truth in it. When you go into a big club and you play, you think, I want a show. So they've, they've always got something to play for, but that kind of starts to disappear when you're 2-0 down and Absolutely. you don't have to worry about league form. Yeah, Neil, Neil made a, a, a similar point about um, 
about Watford as well, you know. But I, I actually didn't see it from them. No. Um, I thought that I thought they were re- really up for it. Interesting to see. I think Claude Puel's the the um the favourite to lose his job next as well. So you think. There's obviously there's obvious problems there. Yeah, um, I don't think they all like the old two. No, I, I, I was having a look at that because from from the outside, and I haven't really looked at Southampton this this season that much, and it it just seems like it's all right. He took them to a final and stuff like that, but he's, he seems to be really. They're not scoring any goals. No, I think that, they're not going to watch. Uh, Mark said something like seventeen goals they've scored at home this season, and when you've got a season ticket, you just you, you know you you want to see more. You, you want yeah. more than a goal yeah, a game, and they and they haven't got that, and so and so that kind of affects him, but. I think from from a Liverpool point of view, Jay, it's it's it is being the impetus with this we want to be is, and it, it's creating that game where the, where Southampton are maybe looking around. Because, oh, they just want it a little bit more than we do today. Yeah, they, if they, they they haven't got nothing riding on this season now, other than pride, as you say. But that will quickly disappear if Liverpool get at them. The players will be thinking, "All oh, right, we've got to cling on here," and that just changes their mindset completely. Then, you know, if we give them an opportunity to turn up, nice sunny day in Anfield, the the crowds are quiet because it's an early kick off. You know, they might be thinking, oh, we'll start getting footy, you see what happens. And, yeah. you know, they get a chance or two, and they might think, oh, we'll buy you, you know, we'll we'll put ourselves in the shop window, we'll, you know, try and score a couple of goals, finish the season on a high, you know, that kind of thing. I think Liverpool have got to come out and say, no, you know what, we want this, this is vital to us, this is our game, and we're going to do all we can to take. And I think if we start, you know, that fast, you know, 20, 25 minutes, Southampton might just wilt, we'll get a goal, they'll wilt, and, you know, it'll be, a, it'll be almost a procession game, then, you know, Liverpool will be able to see it out. The danger is if we do just turn up nervous. The players, you know, mm. I know he's saying this about the thing. I'm, I'm actually wondering if Klopp's saying some of this because he's aware the players are a bit nervous and a bit yeah. touchy, you know, because it's because it is so important. So I think the, you know, the players. If if the fans are thinking we need to be in the Champions League, you can only imagine what it's like for some of those players who mm. want to be in it. So because, close to it last season, with yeah. the so close. As well. But also because some of them are so good, you know, yeah. Coutinho and yeah. Firmino deserve to and be in. You want to see the club progressing. Yeah, you want to feel like the you know, club's going forward. Th- there'll be a question maybe among some of the clubs. Are some of these players going to be looking for something else if we don't get into it? You know, it's hard to get into. You know, there's a top six now, yeah. essentially. So it, there's no guarantee year on year. You want to get into it, get that money. You know, boost the players, bring some new players in. So. You know, maybe there's some nervousness in the club, and hopefully, you know, that nervous energy will transmit into a fast 20, 25 minute start, not a, you know, let's all turn up and do it and hope for the best kind of thing. So, are we all still starting Adam Lallana? Yeah. Um, in which case, who's who's drops out from the team? Origi on for me. You think Origi, so you go a front three of um, Lallana, Coutinho, and Firmino for me. Yeah. Anyone else? Any other takers? I, I would possibly take Wijnaldum out. I think he's looked really tired the last couple of games. It's an interesting um, show. Um, and I'd play Lallana in the middle um, mm. and then you know when Aldum's then an option to come off the bench as well yeah. give you 20-30 minutes and you know with fresher legs coming off the bench may be able to do more damage but does Origi change the game more coming off the bench than he does starting I think that's the point where he's at at the minute I don't think he does enough during the game but then you've got storage to do that yeah. maybe you think uh, mine's driven by mine's purely driven by getting for me no central again I don't think yeah, we're that's seeing the best really good yeah. yeah either it wasn't, or wasn't a, wasn't a, um, a, sl- a slant on Origi, really. I thought in, in tif- difficult circumstances the other day he did okay. Don't think he was brilliant by any stretch of the imagination, but he occupied the two centre half at times and gave them a bit to, bit to worry about. Yeah. But my my thing is that we're just not seeing the best of Firmino, and I think with with um, Coutinho and Lallana, I, I'd like to see Firmino. You want Central. a fluid front three, that, don't that's you? That's it, yeah. Play. Lucas at home, he'll, he'll just help you recycle possession a, a bit quicker if you can if you can get on the ball and he can break her up a little bit. Just play Chan a bit further forward, and I think him and I think Wijnaldum, Chan, and, and the front three that I've just spoke about. I think that that'll probably be enough. 
I mean, they're all good players, Jay, and it's nice to have good options. And those ones we've talked about there, you can make an argument for it. We haven't even talked about Daniel Sturridge starting. He probably won't, but he looked sharp when he came on the other, the other day. And it's it's nice to have these options now we're talking about rather than a few weeks ago where it seemed like, well, which 11 can stand up? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And you look on at the bench now and you'll think to yourself, you know, based on that, you'll have Sturridge and Arie on the bench there alone. You know, Woodburn will probably drop out off the bench, you'd imagine. You know, have a couple of midfielders, and that—that's a good thing for us to have. Yeah. That's a good place for us to be. To think, well, you know what? If it's not going quite well, you know, you can bring on a he can change it completely. Mm-hmm. You know, you can put a Rihi wide, you can put him through the middle if Firmino gets not gives you choices there. I think you know, we're getting some way back towards a, a strong eleven. You know, certainly a very strong front six. I think where people are thinking to themselves, you know what? Yeah, Liverpool are a threat for anyone. You're looking at that team, them players to think you can easily beat, see them beating Southampton three 0 that's, that's a good thing for us to be back at that point particularly now as you say you know so close where we're needing results but also when we have a few games to go and the players are thinking alright oh, no, Sam we've got something to play for here three games let's go out get the results we're all fresh we're all fit enough we can do this I think if you if you did that if Origi does drop out you're only Mane and Henderson away from what I'd say is his first 11 there aren't you yeah. so I think I think with Klopp I think he's more interested in just getting the lads on the pitch even if it's Having to put like what you'd say is a square peg in the round hole a little bit. As long as they're his first choice, nine, ten, eleven lads, I think he'll do what he can to get them on, even if it's Lalana right rather than central. Yeah, I always get the sense, and I, I never quite get the idea of people saying, "Oh, he's got a bit of a knock over. Not sure where he'll go." You know, bring him. You know, put him on the bench and bring him on. It's like, no, we'll start him. See if you get forty-five minutes out of him. Sixty. You know, yeah. See, so get sixty. You know, if you, if you were thinking, "Hang on, Lalana looks tired. He's not. You know, we've had a busy first forty-five. He looks tired. Give him ten minutes of second half." We'll bring it here and we'll change it around. And also, as much as saying you've done nothing wrong, you want a player to do something for you. I don't want them to do nothing wrong. I want them to do something for you. And I want a threat. I want a goal. I want someone to do something. And that's where mm-hmm. Rigi's been a bit lacking. I don't know whether it's a confidence thing for him. So it's like, well, all right, Lalana's come in. He's done well. Give him a go. See if he offers something. And if he doesn't, Rigi comes off the bench, takes his place, and Lalana's got to earn it back for the week after. So I think I think there's that there. You know, you want those players who you think right, who's got the most chance of causing a direct threat. And I think, you know. Not through necessarily doing anything wrong, just not actually probably doing enough. And he could probably miss out for me. Philip Liverpool gonna win. Yeah. We got a score for me. Two 0 Jamie Kenner. Three 0 Paul Senior. I think it's gonna be tough. Uh, One 0 Oh, full out there. I'll go for four nil then. <laughs> <laughs> so it's we got Listen, huge thanks to Laura Brown and Mark Sanderson who joined us earlier in the show, and of course to Philippa Smallwood, Jamie McKenna, and Paul Senior in the studio. I've been John Gibbons, and this has been the Anfield Wrap on Radio City Talk. Sports Social Podcast Network.